From the Ohio School Boards Association, the recognized and respected voice of public education, this is Leading the Way. More than 100 school districts appear on the November election ballot. I'm OSBA Communication Manager Scott Gerfin. Thanks for listening to OSBA's Leading the Way, and thanks to our sponsor, Comp Management. Comp Management is an OSBA-endorsed program offering OSBA members an opportunity to annually participate in a variety of workers' compensation programs to assist in lowering their district workers' compensation premiums. Comp Management. Those school districts that are on the ballot are seeking support for money issues in a challenging time in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. My guests today know all about it and what districts are up against this time around. Mike Collins and Jerry Rampelt with the Support Ohio Schools Education and Research Foundation have been involved in many school levy campaigns. So Mike and Jerry, uh, thanks for joining the uh, Leading the Way podcast here. L let's start out by just describing uh, exactly what the foundation does. Support Ohio Schools Foundation conducts research about school levies in Ohio. Uh, we also do training, and we have a training partnership with uh, the Ohio School Boards Association. Right, we've done some, uh, I know we've done some workshops in the past on levies, and we have another one coming up in December, which we're gonna talk about at the end of this podcast. I wanna start, let's go back a little bit as we're gonna talk about levies here uh, as we head into the November 3rd election. But let's take us back to April when uh, obviously the primary election took place later than March because of COVID. And our data showed uh, at the Ohio School Board Association that 64% of the tax requests for schools on the ballot passed. That was 63 of 99 levies. It was the lowest passage rate for a primary election since 2013, the lowest presidential primary passage rate since 2008. And probably that was not unexpected, correct? Well, we had, uh, with COVID, huge layoffs in March and April. Right. And, and the unemployment rate got as high, as, I believe, as about 15%. So you now had part of the electorate uh, that was who, who were unemployed. Uh, and in addition to that, school levies for new money, which are much more difficult to pass than renewals, uh, many times you win by 1%, you win by 2%. So having, an, having essentially one-seventh of your community unemployed is enough to tip the balance into a defeat. From March 17th to April 28th, Jerry's point about either job loss or fear of job loss really ramped up. That had a real effect. Secondly, we know from three of the districts that we worked with that they actually felt very good on March 17th because they could see the absentee count and believe they were doing very well. By the time April 28th rolled around, there was a transformation and, and the actual um, growth for their issue on absentee uh, was disproportionate during that time frame, which was created by the impact of COVID. So I think, I think Jerry's point about the, the effect of employment and economics or fear of the upcoming economics would made a real difference between March 17th and the, and the 28th of April. Mm -hmm. The second thing is when you quoted us at 64% rate, that's for both new and, ex and renewal money. Correct. If, if you split them, you're going to find that the new money is far worse. Yes, and uh, actually, uh, our data show that uh, the voters approved 43 of 46 renewals in April. Correct. So that was a 93% passage rate for renewals. Correct. Yeah. So, that's, it's, so those were the words. So I think your, in answer, simple answer to your question, 
is absolutely there was an effect. And the effect had everything to do with the impact of COVID in that six-week period. And it was such a short time period there when all that happened. But it's six, yeah. but it's six weeks. Yeah, that is true. So t- knowing this and knowing what happened in April, how did that impact districts deciding what to do for November? Because they had to decide in August whether to go on the ballot. You know, from what the ones we're working with and what they were looking at and what they were doing, I would say some had already planned to be on in November. That's why they're on in November. For those that were not successful, uh, I think when we really look, when we come back to the 124 and examine them that, that are going to be on, on November 3rd and examine them against the 93 that you have from April, I think you're going to find that less than 50% it's roughly, it's right around 50% decided to go ahead and do it again in November. The Mm -hmm. rest decided to wait because the other thing that happened in this whole process was the whole turmoil of how to move into a virtual school that totally preoccupied school districts till the end of May. And then you had this whole question of how are we going to open school in the fall? That was another total preoccupation of what school districts were going to do. So I just I think I think the, I think the COVID factors are as significant as the actual decision making factors that would normally be there about do we go back on in November or do we wait until the following year. I'd add one thing. Um, so we're in 2020. We have 32 requests for additional funding. In November of 2016, that number was 77. In November of 2012, it was 124. In November of 2008, 141 districts asked for additional money. So we had districts that are on the ballot now need the money. Most that could wait another year have skipped this November's election. The renewals many times roll off, so they have to go on the ballot uh, now so they can continue the collections. so they made a strategic decision. Uh, I'm not going to take the risk in, in this COVID environment with school on you know, split sessions, virtual, that kind of a thing that we're facing. Plus, very difficult to campaign because uh, we really emphasize going door to door and talking with voters face to face. It's the most effective thing you can do in a levy campaign. And so if somebody shows up at your front door, they're standing six feet from the door with a mask on. Uh, it just is not the best strategy or tactic to, to have in a, in a levy campaign. That was going to be one of my questions is, how would a district go about campaigning in this type of an environment? You just hit the nail on the head right there. What did they do? What did they have to rely on this time around? Well, what, what, what we're seeing, and this is, you know, again, these are the real boots on the ground. This is where it's happening. There are some clever ways. You know, there's some people that figured out, particularly when the weather was nice, uh, we got a great example in Ottawa Hills where they actually figured out how to do social distancing and have like the equivalent of coffees, but they did them in backyards. Obviously that gets transformed greatly in the last two to three weeks leading up because to what mother nature changes. But, um, but in most cases they did other things or they did things differently. Everybody, instead of walk and knock, as we call it, they walked and dropped. So it wasn't the literature necessarily slowed down. It was just how it was distributed, and you lose that face-to-face connection, which definitely, you know, is is not an asset. The second thing, I actually one of the most clever ones I've seen, is instead of doing a walk and and drop piece, 
they actually went and got four by six post-it notes printed with a message on them. So they actually went up and stuck them to a door all the way in all the neighborhoods so that they don't run the risk of, you know, they're sitting, they're sitting right below the front door, but they got five other pieces of mail sitting on them because everybody else is dropping by. So, so there was some real creativity. And then the big movement was everybody that we're working with is now for the first time into internet advertising, not just Facebook posts, actual buying internet advertising, buy impressions with links to websites, with links to messaging, with videos on them, et cetera. And then of course, Zoom became the end all and be all. I mean, they did community meetings on Zoom. They did coffees on Zoom. So Zoom became the new medium. You know, one of the things I heard too uh, during the campaign uh, when districts did have new money, I heard, you know, you hear, uh, well, they're not in school. Students aren't in school. So why do they need more money? Yeah. And, And I think Jerry, you touched on that a little bit you know, in terms of perception now, you know, and, you know, with what's COVID's causing that, how did districts get by some of that stuff? I mean, surely, surely doing technology and things like that is going to cost more money. I think district districts are spending a lot more money on, on uh, PPE, things like that. It, that's something I think that can be discussed in terms of, you know, I don't think districts are saving money here. Teachers are still teaching. Yeah. And, you know, we have the anecdotal data that there's actually more work involved with this because they're preparing classroom lessons or preparing virtual lessons. Um, and you know, that's what they're doing as, as part of their contribution to have those kids' educations continue. Uh, so they still have employees, they still have things that have to be done. The amount of money saved in terms of some other things really are not that significant compared to the, the cost of labor. Yeah, the the other thing that happened, Scott, and it it became dedicated space, whether that was in internet advertising or that was in actual literature that was either mailed or dropped. I mean, it was separate dedicated space you never saw before, was actually, you know, lines of information that said, yes, we saved eight, six, three percent of our budget because of the circumstances in the March through May time period, The, the state cuts in our state allocation in between March and May was 11%, 14%, 15% of our budget. But they actually had to dedicate space and messaging to that. And then the other grand transformation is how they're addressing, um, and we can get into it separately, but how they're addressing this whole absentee ballot and everything is being done sooner. This campaign is no longer a 30-day window. It is a 60-day window. I'd like to add something. We started these plans in March. I, I talked to somebody who was in Wisconsin in March when they had, when they could not find enough people to work at the polling locations and they had to close polling locations and consolidate them. And you may have seen the news, the long lines going around the block and all that. And we made a decision that we're going to face that same situation in Ohio in November meaning difficulty in finding poll workers. When you go to vote at a polling location, you notice they tend to have a lot of retirees there who do not want to be in an environment where there's lots of people there. So we plan from the very beginning that there are 30 voting days. There are 30 election days. And we plan, we planned in terms of levies is that start earlier. You have to treat your absentee voters as voters. 
And uh, when those ballots are first mailed out, you have to be ready. We had to be communicating in September much earlier with the message. And that's, that's borne out now. You know, we're, we're, we're going to have uh, over 50% of the people will vote absentee or in person, early voting, and it may go higher. Uh, yeah. Nationwide now, they're, they're surpassed a few days ago, 2016's total of absentee voting. In Ohio, I believe we passed it already also. Yeah. So that was one thing you talked to, to districts about. Uh, this is probably, and, and that, that's the, I guess this broad question I want to ask you is what were the main things that you stressed to districts on the ballot this year and what they needed to do? One is that we have to be prepared earlier, much earlier, uh, so that we can be ready. So when people are making their absentee vote decision, they've already been communicated with. Uh, we still had, the levy campaign still had to raise money for this uh, because of, uh, of, we still mailed things, we still printed things, and then we had the internet advertising is not free. There's a cost to that. Uh, so the planning cycle had to be ramped up in the, when the weather was hot, those hot days we had in June and July, they were already beginning to put things in motion. So it was a lot earlier this year and that needed to be done. Yeah, one one was one was earlier, and then the other part was the effect on what you messaged, when you messaged, um, and the reason. The other reason that internet advertising became such a significant piece was that because the cost of chasing um, absentee ballots is done with first class postage and not bulk postage. They either had to raise more money or they had to turn to internet advertising because it was going to cost them what a mailing would cost them just to cover the additional cost of chasing absentee ballots. And the difference is basically a quarter a piece. Wow. So you, I mean, you mail four pieces, you spend a dollar more than you would have normally spent to mail those four pieces to somebody's mailbox. And it's just the circumstances because you have to chase in a timely way. You know, when they request the ballot, that's when that's when the chaser goes out. So you you say yeah. So one was timing, two was messaging, and three was mechanics. What did you do differently mechanically, if you will, or structurally, in terms of what you were doing? Now, I'd like to add something to that. We've done social media in prior years. It's a newer it's a newer uh, a program. But what we had to do this time is because. The, the internet advertising was very targeted to individual homes when they're searching the internet. We had to explain that process to people. Uh, and um, what I tell levy campaigns, if you think your life is private, just keep thinking. It. Because <laughs> what is known about us and what, you know, when you do a search on Google and all of a sudden you say, why, I was looking at that particular item and I'm getting all these ads about it. <laughs> well, the same you know, the, the political arena has taken the same thing from the marketing industry and using it in campaigns. But part of the work that they had to do is talk to people about this is where things are today. And, and this is new. Um, 20 years ago, you knocked on doors and you sent mail and you were done. Now, we still like to knock on doors. It was difficult now. We still like to send some mail, but we have to be electronically connected through social media. But there's also one aspect, other aspect of this, and that is there is organic social media. 
But what I mean more organic is individual people have their own Facebook pages. They have yep. websites. You can today get these things set up. You don't have to hire a consultant. There are a number of companies that do that. And now part of the campaign is finding out what's going on in these, these individual Facebook pages and websites and community groups, neighborhood associations have, have a, you know, a website or a Facebook page, trying to find out what is being said in the community about, about the levy and the school district. The other thing that was very interesting, Scott, for just one second, and that was, as I talked about mechanics. So because the absentee ballot is so high, I'll give you an example. There's a suburban district of, of Columbus right now that's at 59% two days ago, our absentee ballots of their entire registered voter list. So what they got into was they started cross-tabulating. This, I mean, this is, this is people power. This is individuals doing this. They began to cross-tabulate all the, the addresses that where the absentee ballot was, was requested or that they're going to mail to. And then they didn't mail that last piece from the profile because we provide them a voter profile list so they only they only mail to those that have a greater propensity to support schools etc because you can't mail to everybody can't afford it so they actually took the profiling and compared it to who was getting the absentee ballot and what was going to be a 7,000 mailer was a 2200 piece wow that was the impact of absentee balloting but still that took some time to to figure that all out it's well, it was all prepping in advance, absentees. It, the message is entirely different. Our, our bullet points, when we, you know, on December 3rd, when we do Levy University with you folks at Ohio School Boards, and thank you for all, all that, you know, joint work together. It's fabulous. Yeah. But we're going to have a list of things that, it, that we've never put on, that, you know, we've never put on a PowerPoint before. Uh, they're just different. <laughs> no, and that's going to be, and that, that's going to be a great workshop. And I, and I do want to talk about that before we let you go. Coming up, what impact will COVID-19 have on future levy campaigns? Mike and Jerry will talk more about that. You're listening to OSBA's Leading the Way, brought to you by Comp Management. Without the right school buses, it is very difficult to operate an effective and safe transportation program. Unfortunately, purchasing the right bus is more involved than calling your neighborhood bus dealer and ordering what you want. Public schools are subject to bidding laws and required to purchase school buses through a competitive bidding process. It includes a number of steps to comply with the law. OSBA staff can help you with this. We will work with your district management team to evaluate your needs, Look at what bus styles and options have worked for you and suggest options that we believe would be effective in your district. Learn more at ohioschoolboards.org or contact OSBA's transportation staff at 614-540-4000. Welcome back to OSBA's Leading the Way, brought to you by Comp Management. Mike Collins and Jerry Rampelt with the Support Ohio Schools Education and Research Foundation are here. So as we go to November 3rd now, uh, what are your thoughts? What's gonna happen? Are we gonna see that the renewal levies are gonna get approved like they normally do? Do these new monies have a shot? I guess, I'm not gonna try to answer the question myself, but I think I guess it depends on the community, right? But, but 
are we going to see a situation where renewals now are going to have even have a hard time? I'll look at past campaigns, and the one that I look back at is November of 2010. It's a November election, a gubernatorial uh, race in Ohio, but non-presidential. And of the new money levies, 25%, excuse me, of the renewals, 25% of the renewals failed. What's the driving factor there? Well, all through 2010, unemployment hung around about 9.5%. The recession of 2008 hit in 2008, but the full impact wasn't felt until 2009, 2010. All of a sudden, you know, my spouse has been unemployed for a year. I'm working, but we just don't have a dollar spare in our household. Right. And that was, that was all across America. And what I look at for next week when we get these results is the unemployment factor uh, having an impact on, on renewals uh, and also the new money. Uh, and also what I try to predict on this, school districts right now have a tremendous amount of goodwill from the community. If you listen to Mike and Mike in the, war in the morning, the sports talk show, <laughs> They praise teachers. It's like, it, it, you know, in Barnes and Abel, there wasn't much going on in terms of sports, but they praise teachers. And so that, you know, you have, I just read an article uh, online in the Atlantic where the mother talked about her five-year-old daughter going to school every day in front of the computer and her daughter gets dressed up, wants her hair in a ponytail. And the mother says, she doesn't pay this much attention to me. And she's riveted on her kindergarten teacher. I try to put those things together. The unemployment rate, all the uncertainty about COVID is going to hang around here for another year. And then also the goodwill the school districts have. And so I, I have stopped trying to predict what the outcome is going to be. And in my brain, I can see actually having some goodwill, helping things, pushing things through, and also saying, say it could be really a, a difficult day on November 3rd. Yeah, I think the, the, the other point, Scott, in, in relation, in addition to what Jerry's mentioned, which are critical, is that I think we are, I want to look at the components of the voter profiling that we do and the actual returns and where these districts are. Because their propensity to support school issues has some relationship to even their political makeup in their communities. Uh, are these typically, you know, does this demographic line up around these social determinants and factors? So we're going to look at that profiling in relationship to what happened. If it was all based on early voting, I honestly believe their success rate would be higher because who's early voting and where is that propensity relationship? It, but when you throw in November 3rd, assuming it's you know a halfway decent day outside and we get enough poll workers, that's where the shift is going to occur in reality. And that all has to do with propensity. So I think there's some, I think there's some stuff that we will actually, we have a, a research relationship with, well, Jerry, Jerry had created it, thank you, with Bowling Green State University and their education leadership department. And I think we've got enough material coming out on November 3rd. We, we could keep some graduates, <laughs> some doctoral students busy for a long time. <laughs> And, and the, the, uh, at Bowling Green is Professor Paul Johnson, who is actually a school board member in Bissarus and a tenured professor at BG in the College of Education. Okay, yeah. Well, speaking of learning opportunities, uh, 
Levy University, which are joint workshops that we do with you guys uh, several, I think, several, a couple times throughout the year. But we have one coming up in December. And, and uh, this one sounds like <laughs> it would be a very important one for districts. I mean, coming off this November election and what they possibly can you know, learn at this workshop. Yeah, we, and we made the conversion because we had to, Scott. So in the past, it had been a seven-hour drive-in day. Yeah. You know, we'd come to, come to your building. We'd, we'd use your uh, conference room. We'd spend six hours during the day, including lunch, et cetera. They'd drive back, et cetera. So it could be an eight- or nine-hour day for people, depending on where they are. It is now a three-hour online, pre-recorded uh, with live questioning. So the, the material is pre-recorded. However, in every one of those segments that we offer, you go on chat, you know, with the chat and so forth, because we, we offer it on Zoom, on a Zoom format. And so we're answering questions live. But so sure. we're going, we're going to go in actually um, right before Thanksgiving and make the changes from what we did in June. Uh, but June was the first time we did it completely digitally, completely remotely. Right. And actually, attendance was higher than it's been normally. Right. And I it to be even higher in December. But we're going to also, I think, we're going to bring some live people who did things for November 3rd, who had issues on the ballot. So I think it's going to be critical that there will be those firsthand uh, opportunities to, ha- you know, to engage with those who were in the field during covid this fall and what did they learn and what was different for those that have done it before so you know we're very energized about this we're obviously analyzing like crazy after next tuesday or wednesday (laughs) thursday (laughs) or however long it goes yeah (laughs) Uh, no i'm very excited about it and i think i think there's a whole new set of learning because the one thing i will say i think some of what we're going to learn here even when it's post-covid when covid's gone i don't think we're ever going back to as many people voting on election day as we used to have. I think this absentee world, I think this vote by mail world, early voting world is gonna be is gonna be almost as big as it will be this year continuously. And that, that workshop is on December third, I believe, correct? Correct. And they December can register 3rd. right now on yep. your site. That's correct. Ohioschoolboards.org and you can register there. It, it sounds like that's something that people are gonna to want to, especially if you're gonna have something on in the spring on the ballot. Something well, even the spring or the following November, because yeah. because I think that part of the cycle is going to get stay fairly similar. Yeah, yeah, we, I, have, uh, we have a lot of districts who delayed going on yes. the ballot this year, and so I I, I predict there will be a, a substantial increase in the number of districts who are asking for additional funds. Yeah, yeah, well, and the other thing, Scott, is by November you will have a new biennium budget, and it's not going to be pretty. So those circumstances are going to be staring us right in the eyeball as early as July 1. And that, that is an interesting point. I, I totally forgot about that. You're right. Great conversation and good information. Again, your workshop uh, with OSBA is on December 3rd. OhioSchoolBoards.org is where you can get details on it and register. Final thoughts from you. Anything else you, you uh, want to say? We've not had a year like this in Ohio or the United States since 1918, 1919. And uh, we're trying to figure out how to keep districts financially afloat in this environment. Uh, There's a lot of learning that's going on. And uh, our hope is that that learning can be used in the future as districts have to try to navigate this. I just have one more, Scott, and that is, uh, I just wanna, on behalf of all of us at Support Ohio Schools, is tip our hats 
to all the educators and all the school board members in Ohio and across the country. You, you know, it is probably the most important and noble profession in, in, Amer in the world is being an educator. But you couldn't pick a more challenging, more challenging uh, location and you couldn't pick a more challenging time. So we also want to say you're doing a hell of a job. Keep it up. You know, we're thinking of you and and all of us that are citizens need to continue to say thank you to those that are doing such an important thing in a society that needs this more than ever. Mike, Jerry, thanks so much uh, for being on Leading the Way. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Great job. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.